How is everybody doing? Doing good? But yeah, welcome to our service here at Kakako Christian Fellowship. So blessed uh, that you took time to join us. Came in, you got a bulletin, uh, gives you information about our church. Um, one thing I wanted to just really highlight um, that is kind of relevant to what we're going to be talking about today is there's this little uh, insert thing called Daring Faith. And starting from next week, we're going to start a series, call it a campaign, uh, where we're going to go through um, about six weeks, and we're just going to be asking God to, to transform us and give us um, his faith that we can step out and, and live a life of daring faith. And in six weeks, uh, we'll be having small groups. Uh, we'll be having like workbooks like these that you can get, and you're going to follow along. There'll be um, a bunch of small groups uh, around the island that you can go to. Uh, there'll be sign-ups out there on the table. Um, books will be on sale. And um, our children even, there's curriculum that goes along with this for our children, and they'll be going through it as well. But just to kind of give you like a, a little taste, like a, maybe a little motivation, this is like a really, again, a short clip thing on daring faith. Faith is believing when I don't see it. Faith is visualizing the future in the present. Faith is seeing in advance. Friends, anybody can trust God when things are going great. That's no sweat. You're flush in cash, you're happy and everything's going great. The real test of your faith is when things stink, when you've lost your job, when everything isn't going right. That's the ultimate test of your faith. Real faith develops in the valleys of life, not in the mountains. Why? Because if you could understand every way God moves and why he moves the way he does, then he wouldn't be big enough to solve your problems. that God can even bring good out of bad if we give it all to Him. Hang on. Spring's coming again. Will you trust God? I hope you would all engage, join a small group. It's going to be really, really great. I, I think that's the most exciting life is a life of daring faith. And um, so... You know, that's where God is leading us, and, you know, what we need, we need faith, but we, what we also need is we need the Holy Spirit, that we cannot live a life of daring faith on our own, that we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so I just wanted to share with you, there is a conference, which would be a really great way to supplement where we are headed, and also, you know, to get us ready to live a life of daring faith. It's called Holy Spirit Send Me, it's a conference held by um, Transform Our World Hawaii. And it's going to be at Kalihi Union Church, January 31st to uh, February 2nd. There's some flyer, there's these postcard things. They're out there. Um, there'll be, uh, Ed Silvoso will be pretty much speaking the whole time. And he'll be also be talking about uh, something called Ecclesia, which you'll hear a lot more about. Um, that's something that, that God has really put on our hearts. So, you know, this would be a really great uh, conference to go. There's also um, a track for, for children. And, 
yeah, so please, you know, just consider heading out to this. A bunch of us leaders will be heading out, so come join us at that conference, all right? And they're all kind of related because we need faith. In order to have faith, we've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to lead us. And, and what we're going to be talking about today is something really, really important. That it might be the most important thing um, as far as a Christian is concerned. You know, once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, now what? You know, now what? And, and this is going to be so important. You know, we've been talking about where our church is. Uh, has been he- where our church is heading, uh, what is necessary, what's going to be necessary is faith, and what is really necessary is um, something that we got to grab onto. You know, Joan of Arc, a lot of you have heard of Joan of Arc, and all I really knew, you know, I, I knew just the kind of basics of the Joan of Arc story. I knew that she was a young girl from France. I knew she led an army, and... Um, they pretty much what she did was she, she saved France, and, and she was, for all her trouble, she was burned at the stake, you know. And uh, Eric Metaxas, in his book, Seven Women, which is a really good book, you know, he wrote another book called Seven Men. This one is Seven Women, and it's about these seven women who God, who answered God's call. And it's just, I mean, look, Susanna Wesley's in there, Joan, Joan of Arc's in there, others are in there. But he writes this about Joan of Arc. He says, to get a sense of who Joan of Arc was, imagine a teenage farm girl entering the halls of the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and forcefully demanding to see the Secretary of Defense, saying that God had given her a plan to end all of terrorism aimed at the United States and her allies. And all she, was required, all she required was an army of soldiers with weapons. Okay, imagine that. Then he goes on to say, most people would sensibly assume such a young woman was mentally ill or perhaps simply extremely naive. The last thing we would imagine is that she, actually, she was actually sent by God and that everything she said was true and would come to pass precisely as she said it would. And he says this, this was precisely the scenario that faced France the, the French military and political figures in 1429 when this humble, uneducated 17-year-old girl from a small village appeared to them. And the situation in France was, was really, really grim, you know, that the, the Hundred Years' War was going on, has gone on for about 90 years, and um, England was winning, and they were threatening to put one of their kings on the French throne. You know, so things were, it was a desperate situation uh, in, 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 uh, in France. And here comes Joan, innocently yet forcefully, she's explaining that, and, and what she said was, I heard God, I hear voices. <laughs> and she said, God told me that I am to go and do this and that, and I need an army, and if, you know, um, I ensure victory, and that Charles the, the sixth would be on the throne, um, you know. And the, 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 at first, they just poo-pooed her, but it was so desperate. The situation was so desperate that they finally said, all right, all right, nothing to lose. They took her up on her offer, and the amazing thing was she succeeded in everything, and everything that she said she was going to do, she did. And it was all, and she attributed all of that to the call of God on her life. 
one young girl called by God, obedient to that call, saved the nation. Saved the nation. And the call of God is, must be the driving force in our lives. That it has to be the driving force for everything we do as a church. We're not here to be comfortable. We're not here to think of the best plans and the best things for everyone here. Our, our main objective is to, like Joan, is to hear and respond to the call of God. You know, that the call of God is that important. And, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We said in order for us to start moving in the direction that God is calling us to, there's these three keys, right? We said we got to be totally dependent on him. And we said in John 15, we said that apart from, apart from God, we can do nothing. And not only do we need to be totally dependent, we have to be totally reliant on the power of his grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says his grace is sufficient for everything we do. His grace is enough for everything that we do. That we have to be totally reliant on the power of his grace. Not the power of our own strength or anything we do, but the power of his, um, his grace. And then the last thing, the really hard thing, both of them are hard, all three of them are hard, but the third one is be totally surrendered. Totally surrendered to God. And just like Jesus in the, in the garden in Luke 22, not my will, but God's be done. You know how hard that is to be totally surrendered? That, that in everything we do, we say, not my will, but yours be done. When it comes to our careers, not my will, but yours be done. When it comes to our children, not my will, but yours be done. You know, how hard is that? And yet God has said, those are the keys. Those are the keys if we are to step forward in the call that God's given us as a church. And then last week we talked about with this call comes... This new things that God wants to bring in, and it requires new wineskins. And we talked about how God has called us to start these life groups. And you guys you know, heard about that a little bit last week, where it's groups that's designed to, to, to go and to gather people up, and we're going to grow people, and then people are going to go and make disciples. It isn't just a small group where everybody comes and we get really close and we're like nice and happy and we just live happily ever after uh, in this small little group while we watch the world go to hell. That's not what life groups are about. That we're to go out into the world and make disciples. And we talked about how God has called us to focus, that, that we haven't focused before. We need to start focusing on the next generation's. And we got to focus on the, gener the, the millennial generation and the ones after that. That's why it's so important that we're going to reach this generation and we got to build up our children and our youth because that's the next generation. And God has called us to reach generations. God hasn't called us to reach a certain you know, part of the city or a certain group of people or just hunker down as nice people as we gather together. God has called us to go and reach generations just like we did at the very beginning of our church. That's God's call. And, and today, what uh, I wanted to share with you was that is the, the call of God. The call of God is vital for our church. And the call of God is vital for every single one of us. 
And, and what I wanted to do was, I don't know when it was, late last year, as I was preparing for the new year, I heard a message uh, from Tim Keller. Tim Keller is the pastor of Redeemer Church in New York, a church that is just reaching hundreds and thousands of, of, of young professional types in New York. And, um, you know, when, when he was, it was like just a punch to my gut in a good way that God was really using him. And I just wanted to share some of those key points that Tim Keller was talking about, you know, that, um, that's so relevant for us today. You know, just so relevant for us today that we have to have, we've got to grab on to the call of God. Tim Keller would say, you cannot be a Christian without the call of God. It's that important. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let, let's pray and ask God for some help because we're going to need God's help for this. Father, we just thank you. We say, come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you speak to us? Will you speak to our hearts? That you, you, would you move beyond um, the, any fear that we have, any just, uh, just a real inclination that we have toward being comfortable and, and, and convenient in our lives. Help us to open our hearts to really understand and grab hold of just such an important thing as the call of God, God in our lives. Father, we just pray that you would speak to us. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at Abraham and the call of God on Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And um, in this short passage, there are some really important truths. If you want to turn there, we're going to start in Genesis 11, verse 27, because that, that's really important for that story. Genesis 11:27. This is the count of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. And Abram and Nahor were both married and, and, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. And she was the daughter of Haran, the father of both, both Milcah and Ishka. Now, Sarai was childless. She was barren because she was not able to conceive. goes on to verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from the Earl of Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Iran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and then he died in Haran. Verse, uh, Genesis 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, go from your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those you bless, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. His, he took his wife Sarai, his, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah of Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. 
From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. And Abram was a human like you and I. And, you know, you're wondering, like, is that that Abraham guy that we hear? Yeah, it's the same guy. God changed his name. Abram just means father, uh, like, like daddy. And, and Abraham, he changed it. it. It was just like a greater, it's like big daddy. So, yeah, daddy, he turned into big daddy is what it, it really is. And uh, he was like you and I. You know, he was just a regular guy. But the one thing that made Abram's life great was the call of God. The call of God, and that's true for you and me. The one thing that can make your life great, the one thing that can make your life meaningful and have purpose is the call of God. It's the thing that if you grab on to the call of God as a follower of Christ, that's the one thing that will transform your life, that it will transform your life. And, and this morning, what I wanted to share about the call of God is really the power, the power of God's call, the, you know, the part of that, the radical nature of God's call, and how we can receive something that is so, so weighty and so important in our lives. So you got your bulletins, you can follow along. The first thing is this, that God's call is powerful. There's power in God's call. Genesis 1 through 11 is a story of the beginning of mankind, of humankind. And, and it's a story of how humankind began to just spiral down. From the very beginning, from the garden, it was just spiraling down. And as time went on, people became more and more corrupt. People became more and more evil. Um, people had become more violent, more oppressed, and more broken. And it was a mess. And, and this had... And, and here in Genesis 11, it's as though humankind has come to like a dead end. It's like this is it. This is the end of the line. That um, in the midst of all this evil, there was just one ray of hope. There was just one ray of hope, one family, the family of Seth. The family of Seth, son of Adam, who in Genesis 4 was the only one that we read in the scriptures in Genesis 4 who called upon the name of the Lord, right? So this world, is just, we're just spiraling down. And here's just one family, the family of Seth. And I was the only family that called on the name of the Lord. And it was only in this one family that the knowledge of the one true God was passed on. And here in Genesis 11 now, from Genesis 4 to Genesis 11, it's come to an end because that last family, that family line of Seth, that um, the one who knew the one true God had gone over to idol worship. The last holdout, <laughs> the last family on earth that knew and followed the one true God had now turned their back on God and turned to idols. We read later in Joshua Joshua 24, verse 2, Joshua said to the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said long ago. Uh, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and worshipped other gods. That he had come to an, that last ray of hope, that last candle of light had just gone out. You know? and, that, and that family had turned to idols instead of God. Sarai was barren. 
It was over. Walter Bergerman, in his commentary on Genesis, wrote this. Simply reported that this family and the whole, fam- the whole family of Genesis 1 through 11 had played out its future and has nowhere else to go. Barrenness is, he says, an effective metaphor for hopelessness. There is no foreseeable future. There is no human power to invent a future. In other words, the human race has hit a dead end and it's over. But then God comes in and God speaks and he, and he calls out. He calls out and again there's hope. See, he just calls out to Abram right here in Genesis 12. And when all things are done, God's not done. And he calls out to a man, Abram. And he calls out. And that's the power of God's call. That, that the power of God's call is both absolutely necessary and it's absolutely gracious. It's just this crazy thing. We got to have it. It's absolutely necessary that Abram was part of the best family on earth, that he was part of that one family on earth that was following God. But without the call of God, he was spiritually dead. Tim Keller says something that just, he just rang in my spirit. He said this, I have three sons, he says. They were all raised here at Redeemer Church, which is a good church. They're raised in our home, he says. My wife and I did everything we possibly could to put Christianity before them in an attractive way and explain it to them. But I want you to know something. And this this punch me in the gut. Unless every one of my sons hears the call of God personally to them, unless the call of God comes and disturbs them, convicts them, humbles them, shakes them up, unless the call of God comes to them and they embrace it, they're going to be, they're just going to be nice little idolaters. They're going to be nice little idolaters like Abram. And what he's saying is that it doesn't matter how good his family was, that his children were going to be nice because he said they're nice. They're going to be moral because they try to live morally. That they could even be religious, he says, but, but they're still going to be idolaters because they're going to live for something else. They're going to live for their careers. They're going to live for their families. They're going to live for wealth. They're going to live for success. They're going to live for something other than the call of God. And he says, when that happens, all they have, who are they going to worship? They're not worshiping God. They're going to be worshiping the things that they're going after. And all they're going to be is nice little idolaters. And I thought about that. And I thought, he's exactly right. Because it is the call of God. It is the call of God that will shape our, will shape our lives according to his design. Because without the call of God, 
All we got is God in a genie in a bottle. And we're saying, God, oh, 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 man, will you help me? Will you help me? I want to be rich. Oh, oh, will you help me? I'll even go to church. I'll even be, I'll even be a small group leader. But you got to help me be who I want to be. And all we be at that point is just nice little idolaters. And there's power in the call of God, but it's absolutely necessary. We've got to grab onto that. But not only is it absolutely necessary, it, it's absolutely gracious. You see, Abram was unqualified. That, that he wasn't a great person. He wasn't a special person. He wasn't even a spiritual person. But God's call comes because he isn't qualified. See, that's just the whole point. God's call is an absolute act of grace. It doesn't come because you're qualified. It qualifies you because it has come. It's not like he's looking around for qualified people. But he's looking around and he says, I'm calling you. And if you would respond to my call, I'll make you qualified for that call. You see... When, we, when something's wrong in our house and we need an electrician or something, you know, we, we find someone who is qualified and we want that person to come. But, but God's call doesn't work that way. God's call doesn't come to qualified people. Because all Abram was at that point, he was just an idolater. And God's call came to qualify him. That's the absolute graciousness of God's call. God wants to call each and every. God will call each and every one of us. It's just an absolute call of grace. God's call comes, and he qualifies you, and he transforms your life. There is power in God's call, and it's absolutely necessary if we're going to follow Jesus is absolutely necessary if we're going to, as a church, we're going to accomplish everything God has for us. But it's gracious. It includes every one of us. Not only is God's call powerful, there's a radical nature to the call of God. There's this radical nature. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, we see how radical God's call is. First thing is it's personally radical. It's personally radical. God said to Abram, Go from your family, your, your people, and your father's household to the land. I will show you. Literally what it says there. In the original language, it says, you go. You, you yourself go and get out. He's personally telling Abram, look, I don't care. I'm not calling your fam. I'm just calling you. Will you go out? Will you go out of your, from your country, your people, your family? Will you go? You yourself get out. They were supposed to go all the way to Canaan, right, to the land that God was going to show them. But they stopped. They stopped at Haran. Why did they stop? Because they're tired. They didn't want to go anymore. They decided, no, this is good enough. And they made a decision, and they stopped. They all wanted to stay. The family wanted to stay. Everybody wanted to stay. But God said to Abram, you got to keep going. You got to keep going. That you got to go. 
you yourself get out. And, and what God was saying was very radical, that it's, it's just not good enough to be part of a Christian family. It's just not good enough to be part of a Christian church, that it's just not good enough to be, to be a part of something Christian. You know, Keith Green, this really prophetic singer uh, in the 70s, I guess it was, I remember what he said. He said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. See? See? We cannot expect our kids, oh, they're just going to be Christian because they grew up in a Christian home. If you grew up, you grew up in a Christian home, that's not good enough. That, that, that it has to, God's call has to personally grab you. You have to personally grab hold of it. I talked to my son, John. John's working with the youth. And I said, Dad, that is the most important thing that I want our youth to have. That they got to understand that it's a personal choice. You know, he said, how many people that he knows, his friends that he knows who, who, who really aren't Christians, they said, yeah, they, they know about church. They know all that. And when you ask them, they'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Why are they Christian? Oh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I'm a Christian. And the call of God is radical because just being a part of something Christian, that's not good enough. That, that you have to, the key question is, have you met God yourself? Have you encountered God yourself? Have you gotten out yourself? Have you made a personal commitment to God because it is, has to be your faith, you see? God's call is personally radical, is volitionally radical. In other words, God's call will challenge your desires, your wants. It'll challenge your very will. God says to Abram, get out, go to the land that I will show you. But here's what we commonly think. I'll get out. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll go if, if you show me exactly where you want me to go. If you show me exactly what you want me to do. But that's not answering God's call. Because when we do that, we're still in control of our lives. We're not surrendering our will. What we're saying to God is this. I'll be happy to go if I know where you're, where you're going and it makes sense to me. You know, I'll go. God, I'll go if I know where you're going and if it kind of makes sense to me. You see? God says to Abram, you yourself get out. Abram says, where? God says, I'll show you later. Just go. Later on, God says, I'll give you a son. And Abram says, how? And, and God says, I'll show you later. You just got to trust. And then later on, God says to him, Go up the mountain, put your son to death. And Abram says, why? And God says, I'll show you later. Just go climb. Just go climb. You see, I love what Tim Keller says. 
He says that Christianity is a quest. It's not an adventure. And he explained how an adventure, he was talking to this liter- literary critic guy, and he says, you know, in an adventure story, is, an adventure is a go and come back. It's to go out, have fun, enjoy, and exciting things, and then you come back. And he said the difference between that and adventure and a quest is a quest is you don't come back from a quest. You don't come back from a quest. That you either die on this quest, like Joan of Arc, or when you come back, you don't come back the same. That somehow that quest has transformed your life, and you never come back because you're in a different place. And Christianity is a quest. It's not an adventure. A quest is what God's calling us to. And God's call is volitionally radical. God says to us, get out. You're going to be radically changed. Don't ask me whether or not what I'm about to do is going to fit into your agenda. You just got to trust me. What does it mean to answer God's call? It's getting out, moving out, not knowing where you're going to go. Hebrews 11.8 tells us, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, what did he do? He obeyed by going to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out not going, knowing where he was going. God's call means, whatever I discern as God's will, I'm going to do unconditionally. See, that's the volitionally radical call of God. Not only that, it's personally radical, it's volitionally radical, and it is missionally radical. It is missionally radical. God tells Abram that he's going to bless him so that he could be a blessing, a blessing to the world. God didn't say that I am just going to bless you so you can be this happy, fat guy. You're just going to be all happy. God says, I'm going to bless you. I am going to bless you beyond belief. Why? So that you will become a blessing to the world. And, and being a Christ follower is to be so changed that you're not making your decisions based on what is most comfortable for you. You're not making your decisions on what is best for you, but you're making your decisions based on how can you be a blessing. You see, the call of God just shapes our lives. It turns our lives in a different way. We're no longer are we just living for ourselves. We're looking and we're seeking, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go to be a blessing? Where do you want me to go to school? What do you want me to do with my life? Yeah. That the goal of my life and the goal of my career is not about making the most money, making, becoming all successful. It's becoming having a really comfortable life where I can support my family. That's not it. Because God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And that's what he was telling Abraham, and that's what he's telling all of us. That the call of God 
is missionally radical because it just reshapes our lives so that we're asking ourselves the question, where can I go? How can I be a blessing? You see, it radically changes the mission of our lives. So how do you become a blessing? You'd be like Abraham. We just get out. God says to us, you got to get out. You got to get out of your security zone. You got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to get out of the familiar. Right now, there are people you know who need you to share truth with them. You know, like that person needs truth. But we're scared. We're scared. We don't want to offend them. We don't want to run the risk that we're going to look bad or they're going to get angry at us or we're going to get criticized. See? And God says that my call is missionally radical. That, that if you know there is someone who could use truth, I've given you answers. Not so you can just have answers. I've given you answers so you can bless others with answers. But what if they don't like me anymore? What if they unfollow me? What if they unfriend me? Okay. And we just, we're afraid to get out of our security zone. That, that we go halfway and we stop at Haran. And God says, I want you to keep going. And we just stop right there because this is good enough. And God says, no, my call will radically reshape your life. The call of God works something like this. To the degree that you're willing to get out of the familiar, the safe, the comfortable, to the degree, to the degree that God says he will bless you in order to be a blessing to others, that's what's going to happen. See, it's, it's to the degree that you are willing to get out, to that degree, God will bless you to bless others. God says that he will be there for you, that he will bless you, but it's to bless others. You know? And what an amazing principle that is. Daniel Soul comes to our church, sex service, and his wife is, is going to, to Germany. His wife is from Germany. And she goes, you know, it's a funny thing. When Marlene goes to, to Germany, she always, she always plays the, the lottery. There's a lottery in Germany. So she said, you know, Pastor Mark, if we win the lottery, we'll give you money. We'll give you a lot of money. You can just pay your mortgage. We'll give the church money and all this stuff. I just laughed and I thought, Daniel. But in a way, what Daniel was saying, that, that if we get blessed, that I want to bless The only thing that Daniel had a little bit off was that if he got blessed with a million, that he needs to just keep 100,000 and just give the rest to me. No, not to me, to the, to the Lord. See? But, but you see how that is? Because God wants us to be a blessing. And from the very beginning of this church, we're called to be a blessing to the city around us. The first offering we took, and I'm going to tell you, churches need offerings, right? You know that. 
The first offering we took as this fledgling church, we said, we got to give that offering away. Whatever we get, all of it, we got to give it away. Why? Because God has planted us here to be a blessing. So we prayed. And Mr. Takamori was the AD at that time. And we said, you know what? We're going to take a blessing. We're going to give it to McKinley High School. We didn't say, if we get more than this amount, that extra we'll give to McKinley because we got expenses here. Or we didn't say, we'll give McKinley half of that. No. God says, I've called you to be a blessing. And I'm going to bless you so you can bless others. And we gave the whole thing. I'm going to tell you what. In 14 years, God has blessed. God has blessed. We've never had a time as a church where we didn't have enough provisions to operate. God has continued to give us provisions. Why? So that we can be a blessing. You know, there are times when I would love to have our own building. I really would. Tired of setting up chairs. <laughs> Tired. You know? I'm not getting younger. But I like the part of being here that reminds me that one, church is not a building. That we're church. We're the church. The people of the church. And that whenever I set up a chair, I'm praying, God bless the person who sits in the seat. And it's a reminder to me, I'm here to be a blessing. See? God's call, God's call is radical. It's personally radical. It'll challenge you. It's volitionally radical. Oh, God, I got all these wants and these, these desires. I want this. I want to be comfortable. I want to be secure. I want to be rich. I want to have the best house. I want to have the best this. I want to have a black Audi. Five-speed, leather interior, tan if I could. But, but, you didn't call me just to bless me. You've called me to be a blessing. And I got a choice. And it's radical. And I got to make that choice every day. Yeah. How do you receive? How do you receive God's call? Abram has some amazing promises. He was going to be the father of many great nations. He was going to get all the land, great name, going to bless all the nations. But there was just one promise that underlied the whole thing. He needed a son. He needed a son. Sarah, his wife, was barren. Abraham was old. That meant that the son was going to be an act of miraculous grace. And here's what God says. Abram, you can't qualify yourself for this. You're just going to have to live as though I'm going to give you that son. You're going to have to trust me for that. that, that you're going to have to live like that, trusting me, and everything else is going to come true. And God gave 
Abraham, Isaac. And Isaac points us to the real son. Because like Abraham, we need to live by faith in the son. That God has provided for us by his miraculous grace, his son, the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus left home. He had a call. He left the ultimate father's home. He left the ultimate home and grace and security. And why did he do it? He did it for us. He did it for us. He got out. He went all the way to the abyss for us. And you want to talk about homelessness? He was utterly homeless. You want to talk about fatherlessness? He was utterly father. Why did he do it? He did it so that he could pay the price and the penalty for our sins so that we could gain his father. He lost his father so we could gain his father. He left his home so that we could gain a home and be part of his family. Jesus is saying that he answered the original and ultimate call away from security so we can have security in God's family and that we can be loved. God did all that. So like Abram, we can move beyond our culture. We can move beyond our people. We can move beyond our family. We can move beyond our security. We can move beyond our comfort and go. In a sense, the key for Abram is the key for us. We say, I'm too weak. I'm too scared. I'll never be able to handle God's call. But we're forgetting something. That God's given us someone that who will handle everything for us. You see, Jesus lost the ultimate security for us. So we can lose just the little securities that we have because God has given us everything that we need. God's call is powerful and it is absolutely necessary. Absolutely gracious. It's for every single one of us. God's call is radical. You know? Can't put it any other way. Can't be too seeker sensitive with that one. God's call is a personal call. It's going to personally challenge you. It's radical. God's call is volitionally radical. It's going to challenge everything that you want inside. To the point where you say, God, not my will, but yours that I want to be a blessing. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? And it's radical. It's missionally radical. It's just going to change the way you see life. See? John was right about the youth. That's one of the biggest, that is the biggest challenge. That they would grab hold of Jesus and they'll grab hold of God's call for their, themselves. They can't live their parents' faith. But the truth is, that's the same for us. 
we can't ride the coattails of others. It's got to be our faith. It's got to be your faith. God's going to call you. It's got to be your call. It's your choice. You got to answer. We got to answer. We have to answer God's call. But when we do, when we do, not if, when we do, we're going to see God do amazing things. You wanted to see the miracles, we'll see the miracles. When we choose to bless others, you'll see the miracles. Because it isn't just for us. We will see God do amazing things. Join us in the next six weeks as we grow to grab hold of God's call and to say, Father, we got to live a life of daring faith, not safe faith, of daring faith. Next week, you know, we'll have sign-ups and all that stuff. Join in. Join in. It's going to be, hopefully, it'll be life-changing for all of us, right? Why don't you stand? Let's pray. Father, I pray and I hope that today that you spoke to people's hearts, that it wasn't me, a human being, giving a pep talk, that people, that we all, myself included, we received your word for us. Continue to speak to our hearts. Give us courage. Give us courage to grab hold of your call and to say, not my will, but yours. To say, your grace is going to be sufficient for anything you call me to do. And you're going to, and for us to say, God, we're going to surrender because apart from you, we can do nothing. So we just thank you, God. Right now, God, give us faith. Just grab on to that call. Just thank you in Jesus' name.